Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being our hope. Thank you so much, Lord, for being the one who does call us to yourself. Thank you, Lord, that though the trials of life may surround like a cloud, I have a hope that's come there to stay. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, If you turn now to the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 3, verse uh, verse 8, we're going to go back to the book of Ruth here, because Ruth has been asking, what about me? <laughs> so, I got right back there. Okay, get a little bit closer so you can't get away. There we go. All right, so Ruth chapter 3 and uh, verse 8 here. Follow along, please, as we read this here. Okay, and it came to pass at midnight that the man, this is Boaz, was afraid and turned himself, and behold, a woman, that's Ruth, lay at his feet, and he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do all that thou requirest. For all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman, howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee, as the Lord liveth. Lie down until the morning. And she lay at his feet until the morning, and she arose before one could know another. And he said, Let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Also, he said, Bring the veil that thou hast upon thee, and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley, and laid it on her, and she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done to her. And she said, These six measures of barley gave he me, for he said to me, Go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. Then said she, Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. For the man will not be at rest until he have finished the thing this day. Now, in our last study, you remember that we were studying about Ruth here, and, and we saw how Ruth was so happy in life to just to stay with Naomi, 
That's all she wanted to do. She just wanted to stay with Naomi. She had promised that in her famous vow of permanence, which was, uh, we saw that in Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, these famous words of Ruth. Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee, for whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Ruth had no interest, you can see from those words, Ruth had no interest in leaving Naomi. So in this chapter, when Naomi directs Ruth to seek a marriage with Boaz, that's disturbing for Ruth. In Ruth chapter two, verse, Ruth chapter three, verse two, through, through this chapter, verse two. And now, is not Boaz our kindred with whose maiden thou wast? Behold, he went with barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself, therefore, anoint thee. In other words, look nice, smell nice. Put thy raiment upon thee, get thee down to the floor, but make not thyself known unto the man until he have done eating and drinking. This, what she was being asked to do by Naomi here, was very difficult for Ruth because Ruth just wanted to stay with Naomi. She just wanted to stay with her for the rest of her life, as she said. But Ruth, Ruth didn't want to go after Boaz because she not only wanted to stay with Naomi, but Ruth was also convinced no one's going to be interested in me. I'm a Moabite. And so Naomi really had to push a reluctant Ruth out of the house. What? A Jewish woman pushing? Can't be. <laughs> so she has to push a reluctant Ruth out of the house to seek Boaz. And this is very hard for Ruth. And this is also very hard for Naomi because Ruth, let's face it, she was a great companion for Naomi. She was going, she was going out and getting food. She was a, everyone who saw what Ruth was to Naomi really saw what's verbalized in the next chapter, in chapter 4, verse 15, in Ruth 4, 15. Thy daughter-in-law, that's Ruth, thy daughter-in-law speaking to Naomi, thy daughter-in-law which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons. Ruth was better than seven sons to Naomi. So this was also not easy for Naomi to give up Ruth. But Naomi did this for one reason, and that was because she had the kind of love for Ruth that was thoughtful. She had a thoughtful love for Ruth. It was a thoughtful love because Naomi was thinking more about Ruth and what she needed rather than what Naomi needed. And that's how Naomi becomes for us the person we should follow in having a thoughtful love, in putting the needs of others before our own needs. And what we see in Naomi is this thoughtful love which translated into a self-sacrificing love. That's what we see in the Lord Jesus Christ. Love that translated into self-sacrificing. When the Lord Jesus Christ, he left all the beauties of heaven, he left all the comforts of heaven, he came to earth to die on a cross for our sins. What was he doing? He was putting our needs before his needs. Now, we see at the beginning of this chapter that Naomi gives a beautiful description for a home. She calls it a rest. She calls it a rest. When Naomi said that a home is a place of rest, Naomi now is giving to us, she's already given to us a challenge on what thoughtful love is, of what self-sacrificing love is. Now she's giving us another challenge by making us really ask the question, are our homes a place of rest? When is a home a place of rest? When is a home a place of rest? Our home 
is a place of rest when our home is a pure place. It's a place of purity. A home is a place of rest when a home is a place of purity. Purity in the home does not come automatically. It has to be fought for. A home is like a castle. Home's like a castle with walls and there are enemies on the outside. The castle has to be protected by guards and our homes have to be protected. We have to keep our homes pure and that means we have to guard, we have to fight because the first threat of purity in the home comes from the fact that we are in the world and the world pollutes. The world's a dirty place. As it says in Romans 5.13, Romans 5.13, sin was in the world. And 2 Peter 1.4, 2 Peter 1.4, corruption that is in the world. And 1 John 2.16, 1 John 2.16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. When it talks about those things, it's the dirtiness of the lust of the flesh. It's the dirtiness of the lust of the eyes. It's the dirtiness, the corruption of the pride of life. The world is, a, is morally a polluted place. It's a very bad place. And not only is the world a polluted place, the world makes us morally polluted. And we have to be careful that we don't carry that moral pollution from the world into our homes. You know, coming home is like coming into the tabernacle. Like coming into the tabernacle. You know, the, when, when a person would enter the tabernacle there, they pull the, the drape back to enter into the tabernacle. The very first thing they saw, the labor. The very first thing they saw, the labor. Before a priest could enter to the tabernacle, the first thing he had to do was go to the laver and wash at the laver. That's very, very symbolic, symbolic there. Very symbolic that we need to see that the world outside the tabernacle is polluted and polluting and that a priest might destroy the purity of the tabernacle unless he first washed at the laver. That's how we should view our homes like the tabernacle, and like the priest had to protect the purity of the tabernacle by washing at the labor, we have to realize that with all the moral pollution that we've been exposed to, that's in the world, that we can morally, we can spiritually pollute our homes. Now, naturally, we're, first, first problem is we're not morally clean inside to start with. And so we can easily become unclean in the world. And we need a spiritual cleansing as we enter our homes. You know, it'd be a great idea. It'd be a great idea. If we had a prayer room, and we could call it the labor room, they're right off the front doors of our house. And so we call that room. No, that's the labor room. And when we come back from a day of being in the world, we would just sort of slip into that room, just go into that room first, and do in that room what it says to do in 1 John 1.9. 1 John 1.9. Get into that room. And we say, okay, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, as you know, I like Bible verse plaques. You've been to my house, you know. <laughs> I have over 30 Bible verse plaques all over my house. And when Donnells came, he said, you're missing a important one. So he bought one for me. And <laughs> so I got 31. <laughs> anyway. So if I had that in, the, in that labor room, I'd put a verse on the wall. 
in that room. And I put, I put that verse I just talked about, 1 John 1, 9. And then I put another verse in there, like 2 Corinthians 7, 1. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all the filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I put a lot of Bible verses on those walls there. I put the verse in there from, so David said in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew in me a right spirit within me. I put Proverbs 30.12, Proverbs 30.12. There's a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. I put Psalm 119.9 in there, Psalm 119.9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. I put Isaiah 116 in there, Isaiah 116. Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. I put Ezekiel 18.31, Ezekiel 18.31. Cast away from you all your transgressions whereby ye have transgressed. Make you a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? I put Ezekiel 36.25, Ezekiel 36.25. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. I put Isaiah 118 in there. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And they be, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. I put New Testament verses in there like Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And Matthew 12, 33. Either make the tree good and his, free good, his, his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt, and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. I put James 4.8, James 4.8 up there. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And I put First Peter 1.22, 1 Peter 1.22. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and 1 John 1, 7, backing up a couple of verses from 1 John 1, 9. 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with, with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I have a lot of verses of 1 John. I'd keep 1 John 3, 3 in there. 1 John 3, 3. Every man that hath his hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. And Jeremiah, Jeremiah 4.14, Jeremiah 4.14. O Jerusalem, wash thine heart from wickedness that thou mayest be saved. How long will your vain thoughts be within thee? I have to stop there because there's no more room on the walls. <laughs> so, you know, but, but there's many more, like Zechariah, the, the fountain that's open for sin and uncleanness. But the point with all this is that if we had a labor room, that we could realize that when we come in from the world, that we got to go there because we've been polluted and we are polluting. And when we arrive home, we first go in there and we first see these verses, you know, and then and, and, uh, and there's no more room on the wall, so I guess I put this on the door. Now you are clean to the word which I have spoken unto you, John 15, 3, John 15, 3. John 17, 17, 17, 17, sanctify. That means make you clean. Sanctify, make them clean. Sanctify them. Through thy truth, thy word is truth. 
And Ephesians 5.25, Ephesians 5.25, Christ also loved the church, gave himself forth that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. So the home is a place of rest if it's kept pure, if it's kept pure from the moral pollution that we wash off when we come home by reading the word of God and confessing to God sins. That's just not passive. That's active. Like I said in the beginning here, that's something that has to be fought for. You know, drift into that. You know, fought for. Now, the second threat against purity in the home, unfortunately, has come to us in our day through technology. 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 First it was radio, then it was television, now it's internet. Those are Trojan horses. Those are Trojan horses that the devil can use very easily to send in the moral pollution from the world and destroy the home from within. We have to be very careful to guard the purity of the homes by what we listen to, by what we watch, by what comes right into our homes through cable and airwaves. Now, Naomi said that the home should be a place of rest. And a home is a place of rest if the home is a place where God is happy to be. God is happy to be. You know, the home of Lazarus was a place that the Lord Jesus Christ was happy to be there. He loved to go there. And our homes will be a place of rest if the Lord Jesus Christ loves to be there. God is happy to be in a home when a home is a place where God's Bible is read and when and meditated on. God is happy to be in a home when a home is a place where music is God-honoring and not this loud, assaulting, tense music with lyrics that are polluting. God is happy to be in a home when a home is a place of prayer. When prayer that thanks God for all that he's done is made, when prayer that worships God for who he is is made, when prayer that relies on God for the problems of life, the problems in the home, the problems of the family, prayer that trusts God for the unknown future, what's going to happen, prayer for each member of the household where each person is loved individually and each person is appreciated for who he is individually, and each person is listened to individually, and each person is prayed for individually. That's a home. That's a place of rest. That's a home where everyone is accepted and loved. That's a home that trusts in the Lord and has been, you might say, it's been tented and fumigated (laughs) from all the destruction of the tension and anxiety that's in the world. That's the kind of home that God is, uh, enters into. And he says, oh, I'm just happy to be here. That's a home that's a place of rest. That's a home where God is trusted. That's a home where hope is centered in God. It's a home that's a place of rest. And it's a happy home. It's described in Psalm 146.5. Psalm 146.5. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Now, in verse 14 starts off and it says, and she lay at his feet until morning. This shows something very significant about Ruth. I mean, we already said, Ruth is very, this whole thing that's happening here is making Ruth very, very anxious, very, very tense. Everything about this that she's hearing is a very, very tense situation. So in the first place, Ruth did not want, she didn't want to leave Naomi. She didn't want to go to the threshing floor at night to meet Boaz. She didn't want to ask Boaz to marry her, and she only did it because Naomi pushed her into it. But Naomi knew Boaz. She knew that. And she knew that Boaz would agree 
to become her husband. So this was already very nerve-wracking for Ruth. But now, verse 12 comes as an unexpected bombshell in the middle of the whole thing. Nobody saw this coming. When it says in verse 12, when Boaz said, now it's true, I am thy near kinsman, albeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. So in verse 12, Ruth has learned that she may be marrying some person she doesn't even know. That's tense. So, I mean, Ruth has gone from not wanting to marry anyone just to stay with Naomi to a state of fear of maybe marrying Boaz to a state of terror of maybe marrying someone she doesn't even know. So you can see all this fear and this terror in verse 11 when Boaz says to Ruth, and now, my daughter, fear not. So Boaz wanted Ruth to just be calm. And so he says to her at the beginning, you know, in verse 13, tarry this night. And then Boaz repeated his call for Ruth to just be calm. In verse 13, lie down until the morning. Lie down until the morning. We can imagine Ruth's struggle. How can I just lie down? I'm in a state of absolute terror. But this is the, these are the first words in verse 14 are very, very important. That's why I say this in verse 14. She lay at his feet until the morning. That showed Ruth completely trusting Boaz. Clearly, Boaz had the opportunity to take advantage of Ruth. But Boaz guarded both his purity and Ruth's purity, as well as his reputation and Ruth's reputation. And so it says there in verse 14, she lay at his feet until the morning. She rose up before one could know anything. And he said, let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Now, there's something else that's going on here in Boaz's instruction. He says, let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Boaz is beautiful here. He is beautifully protecting their mutual reputations. But there's something else that Boaz is doing here that's really, really beautiful. Clearly, Boaz loves Ruth. And he wants very much to have her to be his wife, especially since she has, in essence, asked him to marry her. But there's something that Boaz loves more than Ruth. You know what that is? Boaz loves God more than Ruth. That's not trite. That's very significant. Boaz loves God more than Ruth. There's something that Boaz wants more than Ruth. Boaz wants the will of God more than he wants Ruth. Boaz only wants Ruth if that is God's will for Boaz. Boaz wants the will of God more than Boaz wants Ruth. Let me show you what Boaz is not saying. Boaz is not saying, I don't care what the will of God is, I want Ruth. And we should never say that. Should never say, I don't care what the will of God is, I want blah, blah, blah. No, never. Here is what Boaz is saying that he wants the will of God more than Ruth. Clearly, as I mentioned, Boaz wants Ruth. Ruth's want Boaz. Okay. But there's a problem. There's a problem. Verse 12, there's a kinsman nearer than I. Okay. Boaz wants Ruth. Ruth wants Boaz. But there's a person, one person, standing in between Boaz and Ruth. And it's this nearer kinsman. This, near, this kinsman is nearer than Boaz. Now, Boaz, now here's the thing. Boaz, he's got an opportunity here to insert influence into this situation. Just kind of, you know, just a little kick when no one's looking, push the ball in my direction, you know? Boaz can play just a little trick now to guarantee that Ruth becomes his and not this other man's. 
Boaz has got an opportunity to influence that would remove this problem person standing in between himself and Ruth. And Boaz knows this. If it becomes known that Ruth was with Boaz overnight, it might influence, it would influence the decision of this other kinsman redeemer to say, I don't want her. If it was known that Ruth had spent the night with Boaz, then that would prejudice that other man that he would say, she's damaged goods, I don't want her. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Christmas Under the Stars is back at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Christmas Under the Stars is a free family Christmas program on Saturday, December 9th from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. Enjoy a live nativity, Christmas carolers, cookie decorating, ornament design, games, rides, petting zoos, and a dinosaur garden of lights. Family Christmas photos, holiday fair food, and astronomer star viewing and presentation by astronomer Spike Saris. And a Christmas message by Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor and Free Creation Museum admission on Saturday, December 9th from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m. For more information about Christmas Under the Stars and Dinosaurs at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, on Saturday, December 9th from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m., call us at 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or visit the Creation Museum online at creationsd.org. That's creationsd.org.